for them. Uh, I, I would just add about the updates that was given for the Howards. If I'm not mistaken, it, it turned out to be that Miss uh, Melinda had this last time she went to the hospital, they determined it wasn't a stroke like the first time she had to go, it was actually a seizure. And so um, just there, there's a lot of things that are going into that. And so we just wanna make sure that we give a special prayer for her throughout the week this week. Uh, and hopefully as they go uh, to UK tomorrow, if the Lord wills, then they'll, they'll be able to figure out some things to help with that. So just make sure that you give a special prayer for, for her and that, and that whole family. I know it's hard on, on Dola as well. Um, but uh, that, that's really all the updates that I had, and hopefully we'll be able to get a little bit more as the day progresses. But as I said, if you want to go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, um, there's a couple of verses here that I want to begin with because it, it really teaches a principle that I think all of us understand. Often to teach greater or more advanced principles or concepts, we have to start with... Um, elementary ones, right? So before you get to multiplication, you have to start with addition and even subtraction. Before you go to calculus, you have to start with algebra. If you try to start at calculus, you're, you're lost. There are, there are fundamental steps that you have to take that you have to learn before you can get to those advanced co concepts and before you can actually deal with those in an appropriate way. And I would say oftentimes we have to do the same with biblical teachings. There, there, there's a need that we understand the elementary teachings, and there are, before we can move on to the advanced. Look in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 23. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 23, as Paul is speaking to, to Christians who seem to be greatly swayed and persuaded by false teachers, Judaizing teachers, as you see in, in Galatians chapter 1. But in verse 23 of chapter 3, he says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. And so Paul, really all throughout this epistle, uh, is just repeatedly trying to get people who are listening to these Judaizing teachers who are saying that Christ is taking you away from God's law. <laughs> That's ultimately what they're trying to say. He's trying to get these people to understand that Moses was actually all along trying to take them to Christ. In, in, instead of Christ trying to take them away from, from really the law that God has established, what Paul is trying to say is if they really cared about God's law, they'd be listening to what he has said now, today. And, and, and when you look at how it talks about the law, I think it's so interesting. The law has become our tutor. <laughs> what is a tutor? But it's someone that helps you learn. It's someone that does, as he says here, leads you to the more advanced concepts, helps you understand, and in this case, leads us to Christ, or led uh, especially the Jewish people to Christ. So what's happening here is he's talking to people who instead of needing to learn the elementary things, they should have already moved past that. They should have already understood these things, but they're kind of sliding back a little bit because they're listening to these Judaizing teachers. And in doing this, he's saying that the law was merely the elementary principles to get us to the advanced material, i.e. Christ. Now, that's interesting because when we look at the law, a lot of times we look at it and say, that is a lot of ordinances that I don't want to have to read through. <laughs> and yet Paul says that that was just the elementary teaching. That was just the first steps. That was really the ABCs. That was supposed to get you to greater concepts. And I think that that's really interesting to look at it in, in that way. And, and so I, I would ask the question, with all that being said, do we do this sometimes? 
Do we sometimes stunt our growth on milk when we should be nourished by the meat and continuing to be nourished by the meat? There are lots of ways that people do this. There, there are people, when talking about the assembly, the question sometimes comes up, well, do I always have to be at the assembly? I'll tell you what, that's someone who's still stuck on the milk. They're stuck in immature questions. The mature Christian doesn't ask that kind of a question. Or when it comes to authority, a mature Christian does not come up and say, where, do, wh wh where does it say not to do this? That's not a mature question. It's some, that's someone who's stuck on the milk, someone who needs to move on to the meat. And there are so many more things that we could say, so many more examples that we could give with this. But it, what we want to be are Christians who have moved on from the milk, from the elementary teachings, onto the greater teachings, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory, as Paul would say in Colossians. One area, though, that I think we do this uh, often, that, that I see many Christians do this often, is in the realm of modesty. The focus, we should always be able to start on the heart. But a lot of times we can't start there because we have to start with the most foundational. Well, what is nakedness? And in fact, just want to review a little bit with this first point. We not long ago had a lesson on modesty, but, I, but really this is the lesson I always wanted to preach. But I think it's appropriate to talk about those foundational things before you move on to really the heart of the matter, the core issue, which is a heart of modesty. And, and there are obvious reasons that we need to do this, but just, just as a little bit of review, what we talked about a few months ago, that was just the elementary teaching. That notion of what has God declared as nakedness. The Bible, from the Old Testament to the New, makes clear that the first question has to be, are you covered? And that's really what we discussed in, in the last lesson. We must focus on this more and more, though, because the culture around us seems to be seeping in to the church. And you, and you don't have to look very far. You just look on social media and you see Christians that are dressing in ways that just, it's, it's shocking. And it's so disappointing at times when we see brethren from, from long ago or maybe not that long ago and we see them making these choices. How, how could you be doing this? How could you be revealing that, exposing yourself in such a way? More and more Christians don't know the basics of modesty. Or when you ask them the question, what, do you, what does the scriptures say needs to be covered? More and more Christians can't give you an answer from the Bible. And so that's why we started there in, uh, just a few months ago. And just this is a chart that, that I gave during that lesson. And this is just, again, a review. I understood that the audio and the video were messed up so it couldn't be put on YouTube or on, on the pod, uh, Podbean, the podcast that, that we have. And so this is more so just for, for those that maybe weren't able to be here. If anyone wants to talk more about this, uh, we can sit down and discuss this. I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing to do that. But this is the elementary teaching. We understand what the Bible, what the scriptures has teached is nakedness and therefore what needs to be covered. And, and, and this is the ABCs, if you will. But now the New Testament starts talking about more advanced things. Now it's not just are you wearing enough. It's not just all this that you see on the screen before you. It's maturing, at least it's supposed to mature into what are you communicating with what you wear. And really, when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 3, which we're going to be looking at a lot this morning, it really has to do with that, with that heart, with that modest mind. You, you can cover all of your nakedness like we talked about a few months ago, which is the base. But you can still be a modest, even if you've covered all of that. 
And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. It started with the modest body, but now it moves on to emphasize a modest heart. And I just want to just say, as we get into this study, clothes absolutely communicate something to the people around us, to the people that see what clothes we're wearing. Whether you like it or not, you do communicate something. Um, really, there, there's... Um, Actually, I would like to go to a passage very quickly. In Isaiah chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 3, I think this is interesting because as God is giving, um, speaking judgment against his people, what's one thing that he says to the, to the daughters of Zion? In Isaiah chapter 3, in verse 16, it says, Moreover, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are proud and walk with heads held high and seductive eyes and go along with mincing steps and tinkle the bangles on their feet. Therefore, the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs, and the Lord will make their foreheads bare. In that day, the Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets, headbands, crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume, perfume boxes, amulets. You skip all the way down because that's quite a lengthy list there. But, but as you get to the end, of the, the end of the chapter, what he's talking about is because you have walked with pride and tried to get all of this attention on yourself through what you're wearing. And they pr try to draw attention with the, with, with, uh, you know, the, the noisy, uh, as it says in, in verse 16 and 17, with the noisy uh, bangles on their feet. What are they doing? They're trying to draw people's attention. And so he says, you know, you take pride in your hair and in, in, in being able to walk up high, but I'm going to afflict you with scabs so that way you will beg that people stop looking at you. And in, it's interesting here because he's not just talking about nakedness. That is a problem. But here he's talking about it's because of the things that you're putting on, why you're putting them on, why you have put them on. And so therefore, what we decide to wear is publicly telling people things about our enjoyments about our hobbies, about our beliefs. Now, what, what's interesting is, you know, I think we understand that. We wear shirts that have our favorite band or our favorite singer, and we'll wear that around all the time, and it'll start conversations. We sometimes wear, I mean, I, I know we're in Kentucky, but I'm from Indiana, and one of my favorite athletes of all time is Peyton Manning. And so, you know, I, I, I would love to be able to have, uh, to be able to wear one of these jerseys. It's kind of expensive now because he is, just so great. But I mean, it, 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 I would love to walk around and then show people my appreciation of the man, show them how much of a fan I am. And sometimes we do this with, with our hobbies, like going to the gym. We like to wear uh, shirts with, with art on them that shows I, I like to work out or, I, or even like I, I've run a marathon or for instance, people's beliefs. Hey, I voted. And it's very important to us that people know this thing, know these kinds of things. But Regardless of what we think, clothes absolutely communicate things to others publicly. It's very rare, a very, very rare person that just, you know, picks up clothes without even thinking just because it's free on some rack somewhere. They don't care what's on it, they're just going to wear it. Very, very rarely do people act like that. Most of the time, we, we buy these things, we put these things on for a very specific reason. And we need to be careful about what we are communicating with our clothes. Now, if you think that this is not true, if you think that our clothes don't communicate things to others, I would, just, I would like to just give you a couple of quotes. There was a woman named Mary 
Quant, or Mary Quant, I don't, I don't know exactly how to say her last name, I believe she's French, but she was a fashion designer in the 1960s, and she, was, she wasn't the person that invented this necessarily, but she was one of the people that designed this and really revolutionized in the, the fashion industry the, the mini skirt and, and the mini clothes. This is something that she said about the miniskirt at one point. She said, mini clothes are symbolic of those girls who want to seduce a man. I think that's interesting. Because what we see here is even the world understands that clothes communicate things. And we can't sit back and say, no, 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 it doesn't. You're just looking too deep into this. No, they do. And it's not, I know she lived back in the 19, or this was, she really got popular in the 1960s because of this. But I'll tell you, there was an article, because I wanted to investigate this a little bit more. There was an article that was published this year, April 14th, 2023, by a woman named Harriet Hall. And her, the, the title of the article was, How Mary Quant's Miniskirt Liberated Women. Just from the title, you can see that's not necessarily a, an ideal that I want to, that a Christian wants to push or wants to be behind. But what she's, one of the things she said was about the, uh, her, her, how she liberated women. She said it was a youthful look signifying an energetic innocence that belied its rebelliousness. You really think that clothes don't communicate something? They do. They really, really do. In fact, there are reasons that people, when they go to funerals, <laughs> me as a man, I understand that when I go into my closet, I'm not going to choose the brightest colored shirts and ties that I have when I'm about to go to a funeral. And I'm a man. And so we understand that clothes communicate things. And, and so if, if the world is saying this, the Christian has no excuse. We need to understand this as well. And we need to care about what our clothes communicate. We need to care why we're buying the, the attire that we are. And so... Again, we started with that little review of the, a few months ago, what the elementary teaching is. Now we move on to the mature teaching. Now we move on to the advanced principles, and that is having a modest heart. But, but in doing this, I want to first look at what the immodest heart does and how the immodest heart uses clothes and using some of these passages that we've already referenced at the beginning of the study, uh, particularly in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll be reading from that in just a moment. But as we look at an immodest heart and, and how they use clothes, I would say, first of all, the immodest heart uses skin just as much as clothes. And, and they use nakedness to get some kind of appeal or to attract just as much as clothes or maybe even more. You know, one of the things that I said in that last lesson when, when it came to some objections that people bring up when you talk about what nakedness is, what God has said nakedness is, and therefore what needs to be covered, one thing that people sometimes say is, it's really about a modest heart, so you've missed the point. And to that I always say, yes, it absolutely is about a modest heart. But an immodest body will always reveal an immodest heart. Yes, you can dress modestly and actually still be immodest, but you can't dress immodestly and say you have a modest heart. And so I just wanted to get that out of the way very quickly. An immodest heart is revealed by immodest clothes. But moving on from that, an immodest heart uses clothes to, uh, to, to fit in. Now, we kind of understand what we mean by that, especially when you're younger, there is this great temptation to fit in with the people around you, especially when you're going to public school. There is a lot of pressure to look, to act, to talk like the people that are around you. And why? Because you don't, you don't want to make waves. 
You don't want to be the person that has to <laughs> make, make a big deal and, and be the stick in the mud just because, you, just because you have a different belief than others. It is a great pressure that young people have today. And so there's a temptation to fit in, and sometimes this is how clothes are, are used. Now, the question is that we need to ask more often is, who are you wanting to fit in with more? Who is it that you want to make peace with and therefore compromise to make that peace? When it comes to a mature Christian, when we're trying to build young people up to be mature Christians, we need to strike at the heart of the matter and ask these kinds of questions. Parents, and, and, and brethren for that matter, need to ask tough questions, not just, to, not just to belittle someone, not just to make them feel bad, but to really make them think, why am I doing this? Why am I wanting this kind of attire? Why do I want to look like this? Over in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. We'll read the whole uh, passage in just a moment. But after he talks about, the, in verses 3 and 4, about this modesty... He goes into a little bit more explanation and says in verse 5, For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. What's interesting is the first two verses here of 1 Peter chapter 3, it doesn't start necessarily with modesty. It starts with He's trying to tell wives who may have unbelieving husbands, this is how you act. If you want to bring him to Christ, if you want to be a good example that will make him think about being converted, this is how you need to act. And then he talks about modesty. And then as we just read in verses 5 and 6, this is how the women of old, this is how women like Sarah used to adorn themselves with submissiveness, with humility. I'll tell you what, the world hates to look like that. Submissiveness. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever watched the Bill Cosby show. I have not. I'm not advocating it whatsoever. But I did see a clip of it come up on Facebook not too long ago. And I just thought it was so accurate about our current culture today. Bill Cosby's wife on the show, there was someone who, who was listening to a conversation between them. And she, she said, w would you two like coffee? And the fellow said, oh, I didn't realize you were that kind of a woman. She said, what do you mean, what kind of woman? He said, the kind of wife that serves. And then she goes on for about a minute and a half in this really, you know, really powerful speech about, hey, I, I would never be a servant. I'm not a servant. We're just helping each other out. And how dare you, how dare you even insinuate that I am this kind of submissive, this kind of servant? Uh, and I thought it was funny because it's like, I mean, he said a compliment to you. The show wanted to indicate, no, that's not a compliment. That's really a, that's, that's putting her down. That's, that's demeaning to her. But really, that was a compliment that, that, that a woman would ever feel like she was lower of a person for being compared to Sarah. <laughs> but that's the world. The world likes to look at that and say, that, that is demeaning. And so coming back to that question of if, we, if, if, if people want to fit in, we need to ask with who? Do you want to fit in with these godly women? If not, why not? Why is it that you don't want to fit in with someone like Sarah? who has adorned herself with submissiveness and humility. What's wrong with that? We need to ask those questions point blank more often. And I'm not just talking about with our children, but with, with our brethren around us. What, what's wrong with this? In fact, um, when, you think about, when, you, when you think about sometimes younger people who do just want to fit in with the crowd, I think it would behoove us to, to, 
again, get more pointed and say, why would you want to look more like ungodly people? Clarify, actually. Why do you want to look more like people who do not love God? Because that really is the heart of the matter. We're talking about the heart of modesty. What someone is saying is, I want to look more like, I want to be chummy with the people who do not love God. That, that's the heart of the issue. And so we need to be, be more pointed in those kinds of questions. Who is it that you're trying to fit in with and why? Why wouldn't you want to fit in with Sarah? I don't know why. Well, well, an immodest heart also uses clothes to draw attention to themselves, him or herself. This isn't just a woman issue. I know a lot of the applications have to do with, with women, uh, and I think that's because the world really tries to, when it comes to fashion, they really focus more on women. I think partially it's because men don't really care, <laughs> really care as much about being trendy necessarily. Uh, but that's not necessarily across the board. But we already kind of mentioned this over in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 9, again, very familiar passage when it comes to modesty. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Look at what Paul says, what, what kind of words he uses about how he wants these Christians to look like. It says <clears throat> in verse 9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. Now, especially... We, we look at that word modestly, and I think, and we kind of already made this point in the last lesson a few months ago. It's talking about a shamefacedness. It's about a person who actually has the ability to blush. Unfortunately, today, there's not a lot of people who can blush. About the only people who do blush are the ones that are Christians. But we need to have that ability to, to, to like Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, when they knew that a holy and pure God was coming before them, and after they had sinned, they knew they needed to hide themselves because they were naked. We need to have that sense of shame. We need to have that ability to blush. But especially that word discreetly. I think that's interesting. What do you think he's trying to say when it comes to discreetly? The prideful person wants to bring attention to themselves. The prideful person says or thinks, all right, what's going to turn heads? The prideful person says, how am I going to get people to start staring at me or look at me? The modest person, however, tries to keep attention off of themselves. In Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts talking about, I think, this kind of attitude. This isn't about modesty necessarily. Uh, I, I think there's, there is kind of a secondary application of modesty here. But look at what it says in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. It says, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now he doesn't use the word modesty, but it really does talk about it. I mean, doesn't it? Here are people who are specifically putting things upon themselves, not exposing themselves, but they're trying to make sure that they look a certain way so that way they'll get attention from other people. That their faces are sunken in and they make sure that they put a lot of attention on making sure that they look like they haven't eaten or they, they, they have truly fasted because they are just so holy. God says, make, make sure that you're not just trying to get people to look at you. In fact... Do the opposite. Work to make sure that people don't notice you. And I think that really comes down to what, what Paul means when he says discreetly. It should be that our clothes are not just rebellious. 
It should be that our clothes are not just drawing all kinds of attention to ourselves. We shouldn't be asking, like the immodest heart, will this be attractive? Will, will this get his or her attention? Or will this turn heads, as we said a moment ago? That's not what the modest heart says. That's what the immodest heart asks. Let me ask, if I, the preacher, uh, came up in, in the most flamboyant of colors, is it okay to come to worship in something that is going to grab attention? Now, I'm not saying that if, if, if a preacher comes up and wears like a red suit jacket, that it's a problem. <laughs> because J.R., in fact, he has one of those red suit jackets. He has a maroon one, in fact. So I'm not saying that you can't wear you know, nice clothes. What I am saying, though, is if you come up here just trying to grab attention, how would that look? And in fact, go a step further. Who am I grabbing attention from? God. And it's not just the preacher who's responsible for that. It is every single Christian, man or woman, when we are trying, whether it be in public or, or, or in the, the uh, assembly, for that matter, no matter what the situation, if we are just trying to grab attention onto specifically myself, so that way people will notice me, and the furthest thing from their mind is God, that's a problem. That's an immodest heart. And so we need to be careful about that. Well, going on past that, also an immodest heart uses clothes to attain beauty or uses clothes specific, specifically to look beautiful. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3 once more. 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll go ahead and read the, the, the whole passage here, beginning in verse 3. Peter says, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is Precious in the sight of God. And then he goes on in verses 5 and 6 to talk about the, the, ha, the women like Sarah who obeyed Abraham, who put on submissiveness, who adorned themselves with submissiveness. What I think is interesting, he says, your adornment must not be merely external. Yes, we need to cover our shame. We need to make sure we're not exposing anything. But we need to make sure also that our sense of beauty comes from this standard, and this standard alone, not the world's. Because I tell you what, the world has, has some pretty insane standards when it comes to what is beautiful and what is attractive and what looks good. When someone is only focusing on the outward and not at all on the inward. Or maybe just focusing more on the outward than they are the inward. That, that's a problem. That's an immodest heart. Someone can spend hours a day on putting makeup on their faces or hours a day at the gym, but then you compare that to how few minutes they've spent being a servant that day. That's a problem. Are we, are we spending all of our time just to satisfy this outward appearance? Are we spending any time on the inward? Instead of using what is described here, instead of using what God says is imperishable beauty, instead of using that, they use worldliness to, to define what beautiful is and what beautiful looks like. And I'll tell you, one of the main ways that this happens is on social media, like TikTok. There are so many videos that your children are watching where these people are saying, you're not beautiful enough, you're not attractive, I'll tell you how to be attractive, I'll tell you how to be beautiful. And I promise you, not one of those videos are talking about the inward. They're all about the outward and the external. But that's something that is being ingested every single day. 
And I'll tell you what this sounds like, worldliness. Someone who defines beauty by worldliness. It's someone who asks what's trending or what's trendy right now. What, it, what looks hot right now? Now, listen, I'm not saying all trends are bad. In fact, not, uh, it's coming out of this. But for a few years when I was going through school, it was nice because the guys were starting to wear longer shorts. And it, it, was, it was nice for me because, you know what? Everybody was wearing the same kind of shorts that I was. But now that's kind of going by the wayside. But, but when it comes to the world defining or being the standard of, of what beauty is, it's, it's just depressing. It's, it's so sorrowful because there are girls who are trying to reach an impossible standard of beauty, but will never reach it because, by definition, what is trending is constantly changing and constantly fading. And so they're reaching for something that they're never going to be able to have. But then God comes in and says, you can have a beauty that is imperishable. But then they say, that's ugly. Using the world as a standard. I'll tell you what, they're right. It is ugly. To who? To the worldly minded. God's standard absolutely is ugly. But it's only to the person who is worldly minded, not godly minded. And so we need to be careful that we are not... Asking these kinds of questions, that we're not, we not just trying to draw attention to ourselves, just trying to fit in with the people around us, not just trying to look beautiful by the world's standards, but going back to the Bible, going back to God and making sure that I can give an answer, this is why I dress this way. And so I want to end with what a modest heart looks like and what a modest heart says. First of all, a modest heart wants to cover what God wants covered. And I, I, I go over this throughout this lesson because... You know, it could be that maybe you put enough clothes on. Maybe you have covered everything that God said is nakedness, but did you complain the whole time? <laughs> That's not a modest heart. That's someone who is immature and needs to move on into the advanced principles. Not just, ah, oh, I don't want to have to do this. But moving on to the more mature questions of what, what is this going to communicate to the people around me? What is this going to communicate to unbelievers? What is this going to say to, to my brethren, my brothers and my sisters in Christ? Not only that, but a modest heart wants to draw attention to God. Not to themselves, but over to God. Back in Proverbs chapter 31, Proverbs 31, as, as wisdom, godly wisdom, is speaking about what really just the, the most beautiful kind of woman. It's interesting how the Proverbs describe this woman. I like the way that uh, it, before verse 10 in my Bible, it has the description of a worthy woman. I really like the way they, they put that there. But in verse 23 of Proverbs chapter 31, look at what it says. As it's describing this kind of godly woman, it says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Now, <clears throat> why is the husband known? Not because of perishable or worldly beauty, but because of his wife's godly, holy, chaste life. That's why, that's why he receives this kind of honor, because she has truly adorned herself with the same things that Sarah has. Now, should it not be the exact same way when it comes to bringing honor and attention to God today? Shouldn't it be that we are trying to put not any attention on ourselves, but by our example, by being light, just being a reflection of that light, ultimately pointing to God, ultimately pointing to Christ in us? That's what we need to be focusing on. 
Over in 1 Timothy chapter 2 once more in, in, in verse 9. Just read this one last time. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. So just read the whole passage there. Are we getting attention by making a statement with our attire? By making a statement with how we look around other people? Or are we getting attention by good works? That's the question. That's a question we need to ask ourselves and only we can be honest with ourselves. Finally, a modest heart wants to leave no room for doubt. No room for doubt in anything. A mature Christian doesn't ask, well, how high is too high? A mature Christian does not ask, is this too revealing? That's an immature Christian. The mature Christian does not ask, is this too tight? No, the mature Christian says, I, I don't want to leave any room for doubt. I want to make sure that I'm dressing appropriately. I want to make sure that I am reflecting the holiness of God. And I would just encourage you to read that article uh, that Brother Doy Moyer, uh, that, that I put in the bulletin by Brother Doy Moyer. It was, I just thought it was spot on. God says that we are to be holy like he is holy. Do people see that holiness or are people seeing that we are just only care about turning heads, getting people to be fascinated by the latest trend, the latest fad that we've put on? I'll tell you what else this sounds like, at least the immature Christian. Someone who sees something like in the store and says, well... I don't know about this. Let's just buy this. Then we'll figure out how to make it work for God's standard. How much like Balaam that is. Balaam knew what God had told him to do in Numbers chapter 22. He knew that God said that these were a blessed people, Israel, and you're not going to curse them. But what was he trying to do? He was trying to figure out a loophole. He was trying to figure out a way to get what ultimately he wanted and still be on God's good side. That's not a mature Christian. You go back to that story of Balaam, what happens? It leads to destruction. It leads to death. And so we need to be careful that we're not staying in immaturity, but moving on to a modest heart, moving on to becoming a, a, a mature Christian, growing into that mature Christian. I would say if you have put on Christ, are you stuck on the basic elementary teaching? You can help to move past that. You can get help to move past that. It's absolutely available and accessible. The question is, are you willing to change your standard of beauty? Are you willing to change your, your thought process on that? Because the only way you're going to be able to move on to the advanced teaching is by asking tough questions and by honestly answering them and not getting offended every time someone comes and, and makes a suggestion. If you're not a Christian... I would just say you are not even at the elementary principles. You're not ready for the milk because you haven't even been born again. You're not a newborn baby in Christ. And so the question is for you, are you willing to put Christ on? Are you willing to be born again? Are you willing to do everything that he requires of you? Repent of all of the things that he says cannot be a part of a, a new creation's life. Are you willing to take his standard over all else? Are you willing to confess his name? Confess that he is the son of the living God. Be baptized into his death to rise in newness of life. You can have that this morning. And you can begin growing into maturity. But it starts with, these, with this step. Are you willing to accept his invitation this morning? If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.